I'm going to start, um, I suppose it's, it's we're going to dive right in, but I want to start on a fairly serious note, which I know isn't very, isn't very me. Um, I'm, I think I'm known now as, as the whooping speaker. Um, <laughs> quite often there's, there's a whoop in my, in my sermon somewhere. If you, want, if you don't know what I mean, just look back on some of the websites and you'll, you'll find a whoop in there somewhere. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to start on a fairly serious note because, as, we, as has been mentioned uh, by Matt, we're going to be going through some of the Psalms over the next few weeks. And the Psalms are fantastic because they reveal to us what it means to be in a deep and authentic relationship with God. That, that's the beauty of the Psalms. And, but part of that authenticity is conveying raw human emotion. And our Psalm today, Psalm 58, is full of this. And within that raw emotion can sometimes be quite strong statements of, of anger or frustration or pain. And so before I read Psalm 58 out, I want to say that some of the words may be quite graphic or they might even be upsetting for some of us. And so if I read it and you'd feel like you'd like to take a moment out of the room or something like that, please do that. And you'll see why I say this in a moment, because some of the statements and some of the phrases are quite hard to hear and can cause some deep emotion. So um, that felt like the right and godly way to start this morning. Okay, So let, let's just read or listen together from Psalm 58. Psalm 58. Do you rulers indeed speak justly? Do you judge people with equity? No, in your heart you devise injustice and your hands mete out violence on the earth. Even from birth the wicked go astray, from the womb they are wayward, spreading lies. Their venom is like the venom of a snake, like that of a cobra that has stopped its ears, that will not heed the tune of the charmer, however skillful the enchanter may be. Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Lord, tear out the fangs of those lions. Let them vanish like water that flows away. When they draw the bow, let their arrows fall short. May they be like a slug that melts away as it moves along, like a stillborn child that never sees the sun. Before your pots can feel the heat of the thorns, whether they be green or dry, the wicked will be swept away. The righteous will be glad when they are avenged, when they dip their feet in the blood of the wicked. Then people will say, surely the righteous still are rewarded. Surely there is a God who judges the earth. And no, I didn't choose this passage. Let, let me just pray for us as we come to God and, and ask for him to speak to us now. Let, let's just pray. Father God, we, we often uh, read things in your word that we uh, struggle to to grasp or grapple with, and so, Lord, we need you. We need your spirit to lead us and open our eyes to the truths of your word. And so would you help us now and speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 58, it is a uh, somewhat graphic piece of passionate writing, I think you would say. It may even seem in places quite savage. Uh, to us, and the imagery it uses may make us feel like these words shouldn't be in such a book as the Bible. The words used are intensely strong and perhaps even make us feel like the writer is over, almost overstepping the mark a little bit. And as a, an initial reaction, I think that's understandable. 
Yet it is clear that God has seen fit to keep these words as part of his revealed word and part of his revealed story. And therefore, we can't be seen to be people who pick and choose the words of Scripture like it's a, a pick-and-mix sweet station or a restaurant buffet. We must take Scripture as a whole. And we must humbly approach all of the Bible with, with an understanding that its authority comes from our Creator. He is the teacher, and we are the student. We are the listener. And if we only read the things from the Bible that we found palatable, we would be in authority over the Scripture and not submitting to it. And what I think is somewhat incredible about many of the Psalms, actually, including this one, is their realism. Their genuine earthiness. Scripture is not afraid to show the murky, dark depths of life and the raw human emotions of those who are struggling through it. Its honesty about the evil of the world is a strength, and the glory of a psalm like this is its realism. It reminds us that God understands our pains and frustrations. He is not absent or distant, and he is willing, even desires, to hear our prayers of anguish and frustration and pain. The perfect expression of this, of course, is Jesus himself, who walked the dirt of this world was tempted in every way, it says in the book of Hebrews. That means that even Jesus was tempted to, to walk away from his Father God like we are every day. And Jesus suffered loss, and he suffered rejection, he suffered pain like no one else before or since. Our God has felt your pains, and he's walked your road. But nevertheless, it cannot be denied that the words of this psalm are strikingly sharp. You can imagine me Last week when I opened the scripture, you know, oh, what have we got here? Where do I go with this? And so what I'd like us to do this morning is, is firstly just mention what the books of, uh, book of Psalms uh, is, then explore and explain Psalm 58 as it is, and then I'm going to try and draw out some practical lessons and steps for us today. So firstly, and there's a little outline there from the Bible project on the book of Psalms, okay, on the screen there. In the essence, the book of Psalms is a, is a vast collection of songs, of poems and prayers written by the Hebrews or the Israelites coming from all different periods through Israel's history. And they were also written by a variety of different authors. We have kings, we have prophets, national leaders, wise sages, choir leaders. And the English uh, title Psalms is, is in our Bible is from the Greek uh, Samoi, uh, which is a translation of the Hebrew word mizmor, both having to do with songs sung to the accompaniment of stringed instruments. So the book of Psalms, this collection of songs, of poems and prayers, they actually informed part of the life of the worship for God's people. And the Psalms were often sung by choirs in the temple, but a lot of the Psalms were also used as prayers uh, in private devotion at home. And the Psalms is often said, but they weren't, not, not in a sense, the Psalms weren't a hymn book, but they were more a prayer book. And this is why the book of Psalms is so beautiful, because the Psalms convey real and raw human emotion. They provide us with language, language with which to express the deepest emotions and passions of our heart. And unlike other books in the Bible, the book of Psalms consists primarily of humans' words to and about God, not God's words to humans. It highlights the importance that God is a personal and relational God. God wants us to speak to him. When we're in relationship with God, and the, and the key with any relationship is to, with, to grow is communication in both directions, both ways. And then another beauty of the Psalms is, is found in the tension that it highlights for us. 
Those of us who love and follow Jesus this morning, we struggle with a tension. The tension is that we long for the future. We long for Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior to return. But we're also looking around at a world right now that is in a dark and tragic state. And maybe even you come this morning and your life is in a suffering and dark and tragic state. But what the beauty of the book of Psalms is, is it reminds us that faith in God and Jesus is always forward-looking. And as we look to the promises of God that one day Jesus will come and make all things new, it highlights to us the importance of faith and hope as we seek to serve as God's as travelers, I suppose, in this world on our way to our true home with him. It doesn't teach us to ignore the pain of our lives or the world, but it teaches us to have faith and hope and to trust in the promises of God. So that's the beauty of the Psalms. Now let's look specifically at, at Psalm 58, which I've avoided long enough. The Psalm uh, is accredited to King David. It's one of Israel's uh, great ancient kings who lived uh, some 1,000 years before Jesus. Now we don't actually know the specific context of this Psalm. Was David writing about his enemies who were trying to kill him, like, like Saul or Absalom? We don't know. But I'm sure you've picked up, as we read it together, it is all about this theme of justice, of judging and ruling rightly. It is addressed to God himself as an impassioned prayer that he, the righteous and good judge, put to right the injustices of wicked and unruly judges. These rulers that the psalm is speaking about are exploiting those who are poorer and weaker in society. Now, some translations have... Uh, gods in verse 1, that the word used can be translated like that, but in this passage specifically it's referring to those in human authority, human rulers. And these dishonest tyrants, these dishonest rulers are perverting justice, they're meeting out violence, they're wicked in their dealings, uh, likened to venomous snakes and lions. They're not using the responsibility God has given them responsibly or in a godly way. And it's not only that these rulers aren't doing things like uplifting the poor or the dispossessed and the marginalized, but also they're deliberately acting in ways which meet out injustice and, and violence and in evil. In your heart you devise wrong, says verse 2. In your hearts you devise wrong. It's not only that they were not doing good things, they were actively doing bad things. Verse 3 to five describes their conduct. Let me read it for us again. Even from birth, the wicked go astray. From the womb, they are wayward, spreading lies. Their venom is like the venom of a snake, like that of a cobra that has stopped its ears, that will not heed the tune of the charmer, however skilled the enchanter may be. Their words are poisonous. They use their position to cause division within the community, like a drop of poison in a snake bite. Just that one drop could cause havoc in a human body and cause chaos and destruction. So too, these, ru uh, these rulers, their words and their lies is causing destruction and evil. And then verse 6 to 9, the prayer then turns to ask, ask God to act. Assuming that these rulers will not turn away and repent, the writer cries out that God would put a stop to their evil ways, that he would remove their power to do evil and harm. They pray for failure in their schemes and, and that they would be thwarted. And then verses 10 to 11, it's quite vivid imagery. Even some of the commentators I was re reading this week, it's disturbing imagery. The righteous dipping their feet in the blood of the wicked. 
The writer speaks of a time when God will judge and the righteous uh, rejoice in his justice and the destruction of evil and injustice. That's our psalm this morning. Time to finish. No, I'm joking. We're going we're gonna to keep going. Where do we go with this? Well, I'm sure many of us can relate in some way to praying prayers similar to this. Not exactly like this. I hope. I'm sure. But praying for unjust rulers to fail. In a sense, that's okay. Because if rulers are doing sinful things, then we want them to stop. Of course we do. But I hope more than that, what we want them to do is to turn away from their sin and follow Jesus. I wonder how much that's reflected in our prayer lives. For those in authority over us. We want justice. Now we want good and godly ruling and that's good. We must not forget though that the writer of this psalm also wrote Psalm 51. And after he had committed awful things himself, wrote Psalm 51. David had just committed adultery and then he'd had the woman's husband murdered and he'd lied about it all. And you can read about it in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. And, but after being confronted about his sin, he later repents and he writes Psalm 51. Let me just read a, a bit of it to you. Psalm 51, verses 1 to 4. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions. And my sin is always before me. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now sometimes we can read passages like Psalm 58 and easily apply them to those in authority over us, which is okay. That is who they're addressed to in a sense. But we too often forget that firstly, God placed those in authority over us. He placed them there whether we like it or not. And yes, they have a responsibility to use their power and authority for good. Absolutely true. And yes, we as God's people might, must call out wrongdoing and sin. However, we sometimes forget that we too have had our Psalm 51 moment. That we too, just like the politicians and counselors over us, have got it wrong and need God's grace to save us. We forget that we have been shown compassion to show compassion to others. Even those in authority who we may never meet in person, but can still pray for. And who need Jesus just as much as we do. Because it is only God that can bring true change and justice. And we, all of us, politician or not, need God's grace. There are two things I want to talk about this morning. Justice and mercy two key themes found in the Bible, and they are deeply connected to God's working in the world, and therefore they have implications for us as the church about how we approach justice and mercy in his world. And I've got three lessons for us to take home with us today, and the first is this. Justice and mercy are central to God the Father's heart and his kingdom. Justice and mercy are central to God the Father's heart and his kingdom. You know, Psalm 58, it actually springs from a good place. It springs from a desire that justice be done rightly and fairly. We can all understand that on some level, I'm sure. 
We all want to see justice done, particularly if we're the victim or we're the one who has been wronged. And we want to see that those who are being oppressed, who are not being helped uh, by those in authority, they be spoken up for. And, and that those who are abusing their authority and doing evil and sin be held to account. You know, the desire for justice and fairness. And that those in society who, who are oppressed and marginalized, that they be cared for. That's good. And it's godly. In the Old Testament, I wonder if I asked you what you think the two most common themes in the Old Testament are. The first is idolatry. The second is how we use our money and possessions to care for the widow and the orphan. I was gobsmacked by that this week. Two biggest themes in the Old Testament. Idolatry and then injustice. How we show love and mercy and care for the orphan and the oppressed and the marginalized. You know, the book of Deuteronomy, it gives instructions of how God's people were to care for the widows and the travelers and the orphans and the poor. And this is reinforced throughout the Old Testament. The prophets are constantly calling God's people back to caring for the downcast and the marginalized of society. Micah chapter 6 says this. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with, a car, with calves a year old? With, will the Lord be pleased? With thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil, shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And then we have Amos 5. Listen to God's heart in this. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. God's desire for his people and therefore for us today is to act justly and to love mercy. You know, what we see in the Old Testament is that our God is a God of justice and a God of holiness. Deuteronomy 32 says this, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect. And all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. And then we move into the New Testament. And you know, in the New Testament, I was even more shocked, you know, because in the New Testament, there are alone 300 direct teaching on the subject of justice and caring for those in need. That's just the direct ones. That's one in every 16 verses. In Matthew and Mark, it's one in every 12 verses. In the book of Luke, it's one in every 10 verses. And in the book of James, it's one in every seven. It is constant throughout Scripture, God's heart for the oppressed, the marginalized, those who are in need. And then we have the early church. One of the key marks of the early church was that they looked after the poor, the widows and the orphans, you know, and all those in who had society had left alone. Have a look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. A very famous passage. What do we have right in the middle? Well, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
And then we have Acts 4. Can we read that? We'll pop that on the screen. Thanks, Emmanuel. Acts 4. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was of their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to those who had need. You know, the caring for those who are dispossessed, the marginalized, the broken, the lonely, the starving, the homeless, the, those in prison, the refugee, the asylum seeker. This is central to God's heart. His heart breaks for those in need. And what about ours? Do we have a heart for justice and mercy? You know, this, this isn't an optional add-on. This isn't, well, if I've got a bit of extra cash at the end of the month, I'll give to a, an animal charity. Nothing against animal charities, whatever. Okay. But it's not that. It's central to God's heart. Caring for the widow and the orphan, those who are in need. In Acts 2 and 5, they were selling things and giving the proceeds to those who had need. The spirit of generosity ran throughout the church. They gave and they gave. They were selling homes and fields to give to the needy, treasures and possessions, whatever. And some of us are thinking, well, that was for them. God doesn't want us to have that radical spirit now. Does he? Does he? You know, let me just say this as well. This isn't just for those who are left-wing politically, okay? This isn't just for those who are left-wing politically. And I know our government at the moment is in a fairly chaotic state, and I'm not here to badmouth them, and I'm not here to defend them. I think actually they're in a chaotic state not because of their politics mainly, but because of their theology. And what I mean by that is that they're sinners. They don't need more Labour legislation or Tory input per se. They need Jesus. And if we're shouting and screaming on social media about politics or constantly complaining more than we're praying for our government and those in authority to be just and do what is right, then we're not being Jesus. The New Testament model for politics is not bad-mouthing and it's not complaining. It's praying. I'm not saying that the prayers can't be first half mainly complaints. They can't. We need to be expressive in our honesty. But we need to realize that it's not a political issue as such as a theological one. The interesting thing about Psalm 58 is that when the writer calls out these unjust leaders, he doesn't call out the wrong acts from a political basis. He calls them out from a theological one. Psalm 58 verse 3. Even from birth, the wicked go astray. From the womb, they're wayward, spreading lies. The wicked are estranged from the womb, from birth, which should make us stop in our tracks because thought, that thought is addressing the rulers and authorities, yes. The statement that the wicked are estranged from birth, though, applies to all of us. We're all in there. We're all included in this. Not just our politicians or our councillors. We're all in sin and we're all being drawn away from God from the womb. And until God's grace is revealed to us in Jesus, until we receive him and give our lives to him, all of us are capable of sin and of evil and of wickedness. 
The only difference for these tyrants in Psalm 58 is that their ears are deaf to the voice of God, it says in verse 5. They've resolutely turned away from God and they've refused to accept his forgiveness and mercy and they're blind to him. And therefore what they need is Jesus. And we as God's church need to be praying for our government and those in authority that the Spirit of God would open their eyes to the gospel. That they, that they would turn to God in trust and in faith and receive his mercy and his grace to rule wisely and justly. God can do it, church. God can do it. Are we praying so? And the second one here, because justice and mercy are central to God's heart, justice and mercy are central to Jesus' mission through his church. We as followers of Jesus are to walk in his footsteps. We're to serve the vulnerable and the broken. And often I think many of us know we should be doing this, but we don't know where to start. And I think sometimes we get desensitized to it all. You know, the constant bad news that we hear every day. What can little old me do about that? I also think that because of the sheer amount of good causes, we get overwhelmed about what to do. And my advice would be to all of us this morning simply this. Just take a step. Just start. Change starts with you. Have a go. No matter your age, you can love the broken and the downtrodden. You know, we can pray for our government to be justice-wielding and God-fearing. But let's also pray for each other to be salt and light in this world, bringing and ushering in the principles of God's kingdom through acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with our God. You know, don't forget, love is an action. Loving mercy isn't just a head and a heart thing. It's a hand, th hand thing as well. Where can you hand out mercy to others this week? You know, sometimes you may even think we give money to charities. You know, it goes out by direct debit, and I do my bit. I'm not belittling that at all. That's good. That's godly, and that's gracious. But the question for all of us isn't how little I can give, it's how much can I give. You know, the people of Israel in the Old Testament, they used to complain to God that he wasn't listening to them. And they would gather and they would fast and have meetings and offerings. And then in Isaiah, God has this response. And I'm going to read it to us here. It's not going to be up on the screen. He's going to read it to us. Isaiah 58. Just listen to God's heart in this. You know, why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for uh, bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it to not share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? And when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk. Now listen to this verse. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, 
then your light will arrive in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. If you'll spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry. You know, we gather to worship this morning as we ought, but worship isn't just the words from our lips. It's also the actions of our hands and our feet through the week. When we clothe the naked, when we feed the hungry, when we visit the prisoner and speak with the lonely, when we serve the needy, when we spend ourselves in love for others, we are worshipping. Our actions of justice and mercy are some of the most beautiful songs we will ever sing to the Lord. Let me say that again. Our actions of justice and mercy and loving our neighbor are some of the most beautiful songs we will ever sing to the Lord. And then we have Matthew 25. It's a well-known passage, but again, I'm going to read it out to you. And when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer, well, Lord, wh when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When, when did we see, see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And we do these things not because they're good things, though they are. We don't do these things because people might come to know Jesus, though that might happen, and that's great. But we do them out of love and devotion to Jesus first and foremost. We do them out of worship. We do it to please him. You know, Jesus sees the sandwich that we buy someone or the cup of water we bring someone or the blanket we put around someone. He sees it and it pleases him. And then finally, justice and mercy are central to our identity as spirit-filled people. Why do I say this? Well, I'll come on to the Holy Spirit in a moment. But firstly, our identity as people who know and love Jesus are that we have been shown mercy and love and compassion. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. That's what we sang earlier, isn't it? There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. Our job is to invite people into that place. Now, if anyone should understand loving people and showing mercy and compassion, it's us. We who were once turned away from God, helpless and without hope, and have now had our eyes open to the light of Jesus, and we've received his grace and his forgiveness, and we now seek to by his spirit to be people who show mercy and grace and forgiveness. We love because he first loved us. Because of our faith in the cross where, where perfect justice and perfect mercy met together in one great act of sacrifice, we are to be people who act justly and love mercy. You know, remember the story in John chapter 8? An adulterous woman was brought before Jesus and they were ready to stone her under the law of that time. And what does Jesus say? Whichever of you who's without sin, 
be the first to cast your stone. There's probably a bit of silence and then all you hear is rocks start dropping to the floor. And the one who was without sin, the one who is the true judge, showed compassion and mercy and love. We, as we've read Psalm 58, we're meant to see us in this, I think. We're meant to see us as the reader here, remembering that we were once broken, broken and wallowing in sin, but now saved and forgiven because of God's love. Psalm 58 is meant to be for us looking at a mirror, not a portrait, looking at a mirror. We too were sinners from birth, but now holy saints in Jesus Christ who seek to walk in his footsteps by the Holy Spirit, to be people who act justly and love mercy. And to take hold of the promises of God that one day all wrongs will be righted, Jesus will return and God's dwelling place will be with us and he will wipe every tear away from our eyes. And so as I close, I want to read Ephesians 5 to us as a reflection. I know I've read a lot of scripture this morning. I don't apologize for that. I just don't apologize for that. In fact, the most powerful things I will have said today will have been the words of scripture. I'm going to read Ephesians 5 as a reflection again. Just maybe just close your eyes again. Just take a moment to, to hear God speak through his word. Ephesians 5. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then verse 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes light. This is why it says, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every op opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Walk as light. We can only do any of this through the Spirit of God. Now often I, I, I say things when I'm preaching, and it may come across as... Try harder. Be better. If that's true, or if that's how it comes across, I'm sorry. Because that's not what I'm saying. Because if I was saying that, when I would be saying that, then the power would be within ourselves. It would be within our own discipline, or our own strength, or our own effort. Power isn't there. Yes, we need discipline. Yes, we need strength and to put effort in. Of course. 
But the power and the ability to do that is not in your own discipline or in your own effort. It is by the Spirit of God. To be light, we need the Spirit. And we sometimes think that we're a bit of a, like a glass of water. You know, I just put a bit more water in. Or, you know, it's all within my strength. You know, I, I can do this. I've got this. You know, th- this tomorrow I'll just wake up and you know, go speak to that person. And, you know, I'll, I'll do it. A bit more discipline, a bit more effort. I can do that. So often forget. Power's not there. Power's not in you. Well, it is actually. Should I say he is? The Holy Spirit. And quite often, what we need to remember is simply that we need to be changed from the inside out. To be people of justice and mercy. To be followers of Jesus, we need to be changed. We need a new heart, the scripture says. And no matter how good a heart surgeon you are, you can't open your chest out, put another heart in. You can't. You can't change. We need God's grace. We need God's strength. And we need God's spirit. That's why we've been given the spirit. You know, to walk in righteousness and holiness for our comfort and our support, to exercise his gifts, to pray when we don't know what to pray. And so our, my prayer for us, and the band are going to come up now and they're going to lead us, but our prayer, or my prayer for us, is that we will be filled with God's spirit to love and serve him and to love and serve the broken and the downtrodden, to act justly and to love mercy. So let's just reflect now. Let's just close our eyes again. Where are you in all of this this morning? If you don't know where to start today, ask God to fill you with his spirit so that you can understand what he wants you to hear this morning. Maybe for some of us this morning, he's put his finger right on something. And so ask God to fill you with his spirit to give you strength and boldness to step out in faith and to be a person who acts justly, loves mercy, walks humbly with their God. Maybe for some of you, you're in a situation where you are crying out for, for justice and you need God's help to trust him in this moment, to trust that the tears you may be crying now will be wiped clean. And maybe for you it's God wants you to, to give in some way, maybe in, in time or or an ability, or gift, or, or finance, or possession. Maybe God's putting, bringing a name to your, to your mind. Maybe for some of you, you need to forgive someone today. To show mercy and compassion. Remembering how Christ has forgiven you. And maybe for some of you, God is placing a person or, or a group on your heart just now, or a charity, or a mission, or to someone that you can support, or something you can support and contribute to, or to trust him. And take his hand and walk with him into that. The key message for us this morning is this. To be a person of justice and mercy. To love thy neighbor. We need Jesus. We need his spirit to help us.
So may our prayer be to be more filled with him. We have been shown complete and true mercy and compassion and love. And our mission is to share that with all around. Jesus has given us everything. Surely we can give everything for him. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Let's worship together.